Episode 99, one day is fine. No, he's not. Welcome to the Night Shift Football Podcast. Uh, wow, we're halfway through, just about, just over the Premier League season. We're going to go through the table, top to bottom. Tommy and Cooper are here to go through it all with me. Um, we've had some people have sent some questions in. We'll get to those as we go. Um, did First off, did anyone watch any FA Cup? I did. I did. My team's in it. I've I've got a vested interest in the cup. Yeah, you you well, Leeds better than Arsenal, it would seem. If that's how we're rating things now, yeah, I totally agree. Um I've always been of the belief FA Cup wins should get you into the Champions League. And I wholeheartedly think they should bring it in this season. Nice, right now. Cause are you gonna win it? I, well, there's only like seven Prem teams left. Um we you know, hopefully someone else beats City and we'll just like <laughs> car crash our way through to the it won't be a Bradbury because it won't be as graceful we'll just yeah I don't know it'll be some abomination making it wonderful very good buying Um, buying at Elland Road on a Wednesday and Coventry away on a Saturday I bet you can't wait for that how good yeah it would be remarkable maybe we could get our own Disney series about us uh Cooper your boys are out as well aren't they yeah just another competition that we're no longer in I saw someone talking about um this time last year, we were chasing a quadruple and now everything's <laughs> over in January. It's a, it's a stiff feeling. How good. Good, good six-month turnaround, that one. Yeah, love it. Uh, all right, let's go through this table. Um, wow, there's been a bit of a shake-up this year. We'll go through, should we go bottom to top or top? We go top to bottom, I think. That's probably the best way, which means we're starting at the very top. Arsenal, I've got some numbers here. Currently 19 games played, they're halfway. 16 wins, two draws and a loss. For 50 points. This time last season was sitting fourth uh, with 38 points. Um, six losses, most notably, compared to one this year. Uh, Tommy, are they going to win the league? Uh, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe yes. I don't know. 50-50. It's just, I think it's more dependent on what City do from here in. Yeah. Cooper, are they... Um... Have Arsenal overachieved so far? This first I, half? Um, <laughs> it's funny, when you told me we were going to do this, I told us to make a few points. I made a list and I sort of split into conversations and things that I could talk about. And Love I made that. a list of top four, bottom four predictions, da-da-da. And I've got two, over- done his homework. two overachievers and two underachievers. And Arsenal are topping my list of the overachievers. Oh. Um, as, good, as good as they have been and as good as you think they are, they're... They're on track to break the Premier League all-time points record in a single season. And regardless of how good they've been this season, that has to be an overachievement. Uh, it does feel that way. I think um, it, it does seem a bit too quick, doesn't it, in the development? like We felt like, Arsenal fans especially, felt like this was going to be a few years in the making and that making top four was going to be the goal. Um, I guess from here, the goal should be to win the league. But um, I don't know. Um, Arteta said that, hasn't he? Is he still reiterating that like, top four is their goal this season and then they'll take everything as it comes after that? Surely once that is decided and absolutely locked in, then you can really think about chasing after this league title. I rec- But, you know, I did, a, I did a little bit of research. Yep. Um, and I think you can maybe point to the project being accelerated uh, given by how like consistent the team selection has been this season. Uh, seven players have started all 19 league games. Yeah which is freaking crazy. Uh, Odegaard's only missed one. And so you've basically got eight of your 11 guys there every single week. Um, yeah, that's vital in mounting a title challenge. Yeah, I'd say it is. I'd say it could also be something that 
may well come back to bite them later, possibly. And it comes back again to those depth issues we were talking about. We got that extra body in with Trossard. So see how he goes. Knocked out of the FA Cup by City on the weekend. Um, I'll ask you first, Tommy, do you think the game against City, did that sway any your opinion at all on the, the title race? I think like we... Everyone's saying um, that it's going to come down to the two games that Arsenal and City have to play in the league. And, uh, you know, if you look over the the record of City and Arsenal over the last like four or five seasons, City definitely have the wood over Arsenal. And so if it comes down to kind of like a two-legged final in a sense where you can acquire three points in both games, like that, that's going to decide the title. And that's, yeah. um, that, that's a pretty crazy concept for the Premier League. Yeah. If, um, yeah, if my opinion has swayed at all from the FA Cup game with City knocking Arsenal out, is it probably, in all honesty, could be a, a positive for Arsenal? The situation they're in at the moment is to, uh, it's a pretty mirror image to the one Liverpool have found themselves in for the last few years where they're top of the tree with City chasing them, but they don't have that depth like we spoke about. So, you know, one or two, two or three go down at once and and it's a massive issue. And when you are when you are chasing the title, potentially one less competition to be in while you don't have that depth is a blessing in disguise. Yeah, I think the um the worry at the moment, Thomas Party came off injured with a bit of a rib injury. I'm not sure how serious it is. I don't think it's major. I haven't seen any news on it. Um, I'm assuming we would have if it was a big deal. But he's pretty crucial to this side. Um, yeah, I, I think it showed that Arsenal can probably match it with City. They played probably a weaker of the the weaker of their first 11s i guess if that makes sense like i Odegaard, did say people Odegaard online saying b team yeah it wasn't really b team it was just a few changes and some big ones so ramsdale who's been crucial and um Odegaard, who's arguably one of the best players in the league right now so mm-hmm. they didn't play and they kind of showed that they could still match it with city i know they did lose in the end but they kind of matched it without those guys and um it's probably one less competition to worry about. It's probably a good thing at this point. I'd, I would say I'd rather, I would have obviously liked to have won, uh, but I think a loss is better than a draw in this situation. So mm. you don't have to worry about playing the replay. Um, get that out. That's one less one less fixture against them to worry about. Yeah, uh, good call. I don't know if we'll have much to say on this, but Man City, I guess at the moment, sitting second. They've had three losses this season. At this time last year, they were top of the pile with just the two, and they were on 50 points. They're five points behind for the same amount of games. Uh, they've scored two more goals this year, but they've conceded eight more. Um, Cooper, what have you got for us? Yeah, I don't think there is much to say about them. They're just that team lurking yeah. in the distance of Arsenal again. Everyone knows they're there. Everyone knows that at some point, at some point that that switch will flick and they'll come. They we've seen every year on. They have that probably from this point. They have that ten game win streak in them somewhere where they're going to get three points every week. And it's if they're playing before Arsenal and it cuts the gap even with the game in hand, they're just going to pile pressure on. So I think everyone knows they're there and that they're coming. And I don't think there's much else to it. Yeah, Tommy? Yeah, I'll just say that, uh, what was it, the 18-19 season, they clawed back a similar deficit against Liverpool. Uh, I think Liverpool had 51 points at this at that stage as well. And so we've seen them do it before. I think with, uh, you know, Haaland, top scorer, KDB, most assists, you've got uh, a duo there that's linking up and are lethal enough to get you through most things. Um, yeah, just maybe some of the other guys have got a... More, you know, more quickly adjust, I suppose, to not playing total football now. 
So you're not going to have Haaland having heaps of touches in the in the forward third. Um, and so you are going to, you know, confiscate a little bit of the ball. Uh, so you're going to give away a little bit more of the ball than you would normally be used to. So, yeah, maybe like sometimes football is okay as well. It doesn't have to be all the time control. Yeah, good stuff. Um, pretty much agree with that. Nothing else to add, really. They're the chasing side. Uh, now it gets interesting. In third place, I'm not sure any of us would have predicted this, but Newcastle sit third. They've got 39 points at the moment. They've only had the one loss. The nine draws may be hurting them a little bit. Otherwise, they'd be right in this title chase. Ten wins, nine draws, one loss. This time last season, Newcastle were 19th, um, had conceded the second most goals in the league at this point. Only Leeds had more. Watford had the same. That's 43 goals conceded in 20 games. They were on 11 points with 11 losses. Uh, like I said, second to bottom. Um, has anyone got anything on Newcastle? What do we, what do we think? Are they they over overachieving at the moment or are they is, is this how good they can be i remember last season we had sent newcastle down by this point we're oh, like, we nah, had nah. we had sent them down yeah i think we were right to as well <laughs> yeah no fair i mean yeah sure it didn't it didn't happen <laughs> and now they're fucking third like who <laughs> who could have foreseen this they're probably my other overachiever i think um like you just said one loss um, but also only 11 goals conceded in 20 games. It's pretty mental for for the squad they've got. On paper, the, Eddie Howe the, team as well. Yeah, on paper, the back four doesn't look phenomenal, but it obviously works. Whatever they're doing obviously works. Nick Pope is a superstar. Kieran Trippier is probably the best right back in the league. Um, they just seem like they're well-structured and well-set up back there. Um, like I, I think I said the other week in regards to them is, is how long can it last? Like it's lasted 19 games and that's really, really impressive, but it's got another 19 to go and they're not the, you know, they've only conceded 11 goals, but they've also only scored 33. So if they do start shipping them, how many of those nine draws that they've got are going to turn into losses and how long can they, can they stay where they are? Well, it looks like the gap is big enough uh, for them to nurse their way through a poor run of form. I think if they do hit a little bit of an injury crisis Um, now that they've signed, They've signed Anthony Gordon. So I guess that kind of gives them, yeah, look, whether or not you think he's any good, that's a different question. But they've mm. got another forward uh, got a forward player that can play out wide if they need to as well. And that's really important given uh, Wilson, Wilson and uh, Isak haven't really been the most fittest of guys this season. So they're constantly adding depth as well. Um, they are, you know, they've got unlimited resources. They've got room within their FFP. Um, I suppose because of the way that the investment is structured and they haven't spent that much over previous seasons on Ashley and stuff. So, you know, go for it. I'm just at the point now where you, you're just kind of looking on and I don't know, it just, like, it just doesn't make me feel anything, but it's cool, like, it's cool to see them up there. I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. <laughs> yeah, it is weird. I don't know. Uh, the way we feel about... um. You know, we've talked a lot about like money and stuff in football in the past. And it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's the modern game, I guess, is what it is. You buy wins um, or buy draws in Newcastle's case. <laughs> Get as two good out as losses. a win, apparently. Um, I'll ask you, I'll start with you, Cooper, first. But what do you think should be, at this point, if you're a Newcastle fan at this point, uh, what's your goal by the end of the season? Would you be, would you settle for a Europa League spot? I think you'd probably be somewhat disappointed but I think you have to don't you like you said at this point last season they're 19th and we'd written them off if you'd offered them a, a 
a stay in the Premier League in some form of European football, as well as the finances they have um, at this point that we're at now, that they would have taken it. There might be a bit of feeling of bitter disappointment if they do drop out the four. Um, but it might it might be one of those things as well, you know. Is it going to hurt them in the future if they drop out of the four? For example, like next year, if they go into the Europa League, whether they spend money or not, if you know it's a whole another competition for them to play, are they going to be able to play, take Europa League seriously, and then perform again in the Premier League to push top four? So, so at the moment with the squad they've got, not knowing what they're going to do financially, you'd probably want to finish in the top four because it, it could be their potentially their one and only go at it. Tommy, anything to add? No, no, I reckon they'll build. They're just going to continue to build from this base. Yeah, I this think such, so too. they're off to such a great start. It doesn't look like they'll finish anything less than seventh. Like it would take a yeah. huge, or they could win the um, they could win the the cup, the league cup or whatever, depending on who finishes where. So, uh, yeah, I think um, even if they were to make Europa League, I think yeah, they're just going to keep building from here. So, um, it wouldn't be the worst in the world, especially when you look at like I said this time last year, um, we had them pegged as going down, but I think most people would have when you conceded 43 goals in 20 games in your second bottom uh, with like 11 losses, only the one win as well. They had the least amount of wins this time last year. So um, I think we're right. So they currently sit level on points with uh, a team in fourth place. They were fifth this time last year. We're talking about Man United. Uh, We've done them to death a bit on this pod. They're pretty in a pretty similar position. They're two points for the better currently and if they had those two points last year they would also be in fourth so not really an up or a down but a fair bit of squad change who wants to take this it's an interesting comparison to last season so you're saying they're they're quite similar to where they were now they're in pretty well yeah they're they're two points different they're sitting fifth uh sorry they're sitting fourth right now this time last year they were fifth they were fifth yeah um with 37 they've mm. currently got 39 and they're fourth so uh, there's just a different feel about them this time isn't it or is it that their fan base are believing in what they're seeing perhaps and you're hearing more about it online but it just feels like a different buzz like they felt down yeah. about where they were last season and now it feels like man united are up and about they've got rashford who's a better player than mbappe and messy combined and like the you know the train has left the station with these guys well, fucking... it does feel i think this year it does feel a bit more like there's a clearer goal that they're building towards whereas last mm. year it was kind of a bit all over the place and they were still just kind of grinding all out waiting. wins because of some of the you know some of the gun players they had yeah yeah i think you know i i was just thinking then when you said that that i thought marcus rashford's form and how, to me, it feels like they've been winning more games than last year. You know, I thought it might have warranted a bit more of a, an improvement on last year, but I also think they'd be happy sitting in the top four. And and I think, you know, we said it with Newcastle, I think United are pretty safe as well. I think we discussed it last week, Brighton, we think are probably potentially the only team from outside that really are going to threaten them. I think they're consistent enough, United, to win a bunch more games. And, and like you said, it feels like there's a bit more of a goal. You know, this year they're relying on Marcus Rashford to score goals, whereas last year they were begging for Ronaldo to do it. Um, I feel a bit, I personally feel a bit more comfortable begging my, or relying on my 25-year-old striker to bag goals than my 36-year-old striker. So so there is a bit more direction and a bit more future about them. Yeah. Good, good sound, stuff. All I got out of that was that you were completely riding off Spurs. <laughs> well, we can jump to Spurs now if you like, because... 
they're also in a very similar position. They're currently fifth. They're on 36 points. Uh, they've played 21 games. And the table here I've got after 20 games last season was also 36 points. So um, 11 wins, three draws, same as last season. They've got one extra loss at the moment, having played the extra game. But um, they're one of only two sides in the league at the moment that have played 21, them and Fulham. Um, so... Yeah, I I don't know what's I don't really know what this club's all about at the moment. I guess they want Champions League. There was a little period where there where I thought they were gonna, well they they were expecting maybe to challenge for a title, which was never really realistic. And then they're in this similar kind of spot still, having rotated a lot of the squad, gone through managers, and yeah, what what do we what do we think of these guys? It's like a crisis club, but that it continues to do just well enough that you don't have to blow the whole thing up and start it again. And so it just kind of perpetually keeps going and going and going. And like, what's the most recent crisis is a couple of the former Juventus execs that were involved in the um, the transfer stuff. They got the 15 point deduction were at Spurs at the time. So now they're excluded from the game or whatever. So they've lost like a massive chunk of their technical staff. Like it's just one. Yeah. They just lurch from one mini crisis to another. The football. Yeah. It's bizarre. I can't, I can't explain it. They don't attack. They don't play in the first half. And just whatever the score is at halftime, they'll adjust and try and get a draw or get a victory out of it. Super unsustainable. They've got this lightning attack of, you know, Kane and Son, Richarlison, and let it just seems like they rely upon Kulichevsky for everything. Yep. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think you summed them up perfectly. They're that weird team that are not that bad, but absolutely fucking diabolical all at once. They're a bit like Victorian weather. You get 45 minutes of shit and 45 minutes of wonder all in one day. Um, you spoke about Richarlison just then, though. Uh, interestingly, we saw that team that came out, the Sky Sports, um, 11 biggest transfer flops of, of the season so far. Um, he's been left off all of them. And I know he did good things for Brazil in the World Cup. And, you know, I know he scored a couple for Spurs in a few competitions. But he's goalless in the Premier League, I read midweek. Yeah. Um it's and not that, good enough, that's, is it? It's probably a big problem. Oh yeah. It's hundred percent. He's someone on this pod we've talked about before being and it's the jokes have done the rounds about him kind of being he's got the ego of some absolute world class footballer, but with the ability of like Darren Bent or something. He's just <laughs> like he doesn't really score a lot of goals considering how prolific he is. I think Everton were probably chuffed with the money they got for him. Um he didn't he had his times at Everton but um it's definitely not really working as but I don't I'm not sure how people could not consider him a flop at the moment it's pretty bizarre he also seems to base his game on like all this shithousery and stuff but which he's not really too good at either like you what's the purpose in trying to wind up Aaron Ramsdale after you've lost the game like you lost man why don't you try and score a goal for a change I don't know this he he bugs me because he does have talent, and when he when he turns it on, I think we've seen how good he can be. But he just doesn't do it very often. He is all theater, isn't he? And like, why would you do that? Ramsdale psych him out for his next game, a game that has no impact whatsoever <laughs> on what your team's doing, because you're that far adrift from where you should be competing with. Is he he's he's a ridiculous guy, and like very close to entering uh, the top five thugs currently operating in the Premier League. Yeah, uh, when you mentioned those flops, another one I was going to mention, I'm not sure if he was on there. I didn't see the the team you're talking about, Cooper, but 
Uh, one that came to my mind was Neil Mope yeah. after moving from Brighton to Everton. We'll get to Everton later, but um, Brighton are the next team in the table, perhaps surprisingly, but maybe not because they sit sixth with 31 points. This time last year, they were 12th with 24, so there's seven points to the better. And I think I think a lot of us last year were, we were well, football media in general were frequently talking about how good Brighton looked, but they just weren't quite getting the wins and they were getting a lot of draws when they perhaps their football probably deserved better and they were definitely good to watch. Um, this year, they've managed to turn it into results. Uh, Tommy, what have you got for Brighton? I love the goals. We've spoken about them at length. Mm. Um, they're like venturing into like genuine second club territory. Yeah. A, a team that I actively look for whenever they play. Um, I yeah I I I loved what you said I I don't think it's a surprise anymore because they are a, such a well-run club and the way that they've replaced some big exclusions this season with again guys that fit the transfer model um and you know the commitment and the quality of recruitment is it shows on the pitch and they have transferred that you know maybe they were drawing games where they should where they're winning now they've transferred that into goals and Deserby has come in and elevated them again once more from what Potter was doing. And it's it's so cool to see. They're, I think they're the genuine story. If you're why why Newcastle doesn't make me feel what I feel when I watch Brighton, I think that, you know, it probably lies somewhere in between what's happening on the pitch. Yeah, it's another another one of those Leicester were a story because they played attacking football when they went at teams and they were a joy to watch where I don't sit down and watch 90 minutes of Newcastle and buzz about the football that they're playing. But but Brighton get at teams and, and they're exciting and they're good to watch. Um, it's They seem to pull depth out of nowhere, Brighton. Like you just spoke then, they've replaced players from lost players, replaced players. And it seems like they haven't been hurt. Like they obviously lost Kukureya, um and they've brought Purvis Estupinian straight in. He's been fantastic for them. If not, I mean, you look at what Kukureya has done for Chelsea this year, if not all, almost better. Um, Eves Basuma gone. In comes Alexis McAllister feels holes like there's nothing, goes and wins a World Cup during his fucking summer break. Um, the guy can play. He's another one that, you know, he hasn't been in the Brighton squad for long, but he's already been spoken about it, about moves, bigger clubs want him and things like that. And like Sam, you just brought up Neil Mopé, um, found the back of the net quite frequently for Brighton last year, and I thought they'd miss him, but I don't really think they have. We spoke about Evan Ferguson last week, good young up-and-comer, probably unlucky and probably should have had one or two against Liverpool last night. Um and they found the guy that scored the winner last night as well, uh, Karen Matoma, who's been excellent. Yeah. Um, he's so tricky, so great to watch, quick on the ball, he's clever. Um, I can't remember what it was. There was that story about him finishing his master's degree and whatever he did, and he did his final assignment on um, running at players with the ball and did a study on which moves he can do that fool defenders and take him out of the way. And it sounds stupid, but when you watch him play, it, it looks like he knows what he's doing. Oh my God. We all had that guy in high school that did that. We thought <laughs> he was the best footballer to have ever lived. He may have been the best footballer of the school, but no, I can see it now. I, I like him though. I like him a lot. That goal, the, the winner last night was freaking awesome. Yeah. I do think um, not to be negative about Brighton, but I, the interest for Ooh. me now is how they, it'd be interesting. I still think the sample size for their squad depth and transfer business has been small. You know, we're talking about the space of a season or two. I think it'll be interesting to see how they go in the next phase, um, you know, when clubs start to come in for, you know, well, we've already seen Arsenal come in for Trossard. Um, but when clubs start to come in for these other guys like Pascal Grosses and things, um, 
how they go with replacing them because I think uh, they look similar to me to, you know, we've seen Wolves do it in the last few seasons where they were they were right up there uh, playing some good football and bringing in some good players, playing exciting attacking stuff and then it kind of all went out the window pretty quickly for them. So fingers crossed it doesn't for Brighton and they can keep this going because it is good to watch. Uh, the next one, these ones would have to be a massive overachiever. Overachiever, sorry, get my words out. Uh, in seventh at the moment, Fulham, 31 points. Nine wins, four draws, eight losses. This time last year, we're playing in a division below. and uh, Not even worth a mention. Yeah, and here they are. Seventh. They, cl- they clearly... Yeah, they clearly on. have no notion of how like a yo-yo is supposed to work. No. When Stay you go up. down, you don't come back up to like top half of the prem. No, you're supposed to fight and scrap and just eventually succumb to your to your misery. Yeah. Uh Cooper, they surely make your list of overachievers. Yeah, I think they do. Um it finally clicked for Alexander Mitrovic, didn't it? He's he's yeah. had what Two or three goes now, and it, and it hasn't happened. And I think we wrote him off start of the yeah, season on nah, here. Nah, nah, he's always been ready. <laughs> Mate, go <laughs> back and listen. Oh, I've we been in his corner from the start, bro. Nah, that's my boy. <laughs> now, nah, props to him though. He's been told no how many times about can he make the jump between the championship and and the Premier League, and now he's banged in eleven goals in seventeen games, and Fulham find themselves in seventh. And for a team that a lot of people had going straight back down, they. They've served themselves well. And it's another one, like you just said, with Brighton. Can they continue to do it going into future seasons? And, I mean, why not? They have to build around Metro while they've got him now. He's 28. I don't really see him going anywhere else. Um, build around him while they've got him, find a young guy to, to come off him and see where he can oh, go. Yeah. But they, they, need to be a, they need to be a Premier League side for for years to come now, Fulham. They're one of those clubs that, that should be up there and they need to as a club, find a way to stay up there rather than just continuing to yo-yo. Mm-hmm. They're um they're smashing their expected points at the moment. Uh, I read that they're supposed to be on twenty-two, and what are they on thirty-one? Um, and it's probably you love mainly an expected start, don't you? I just it's uh, it's interesting when you do stuff like this. I suppose when you look at where teams are and where they should be. Otherwise, it it makes no real sense generally. But for this, I think it does because it means that they're you know getting points out of games that they realistically. Uh, should be losing and you know you can look at it one or two ways that's a sign of a good team and maybe that's true they've only lost to sides above them I think except for West Ham so that's like top five sides so that's you know pretty good output they obviously uh, they don't mind flat track bullying uh, the the teams in the lower half but where can they realistically finish I don't know that'd be stoked with 10th wouldn't they yeah I think so definitely Um, yeah 10th I'll put it there. Uh, I'm going to move on. We'll try and get through this, the middle bit of the pack now. Uh, Brentford sit in eighth. They're on 30 points. Uh, where were they? This this time last season in 15th, they're 10 points less. Um, playing a bit better this season. I, I haven't caught a lot of Brentford, so I honestly couldn't give you a lot on this one. Don't um, have too much to say. Yeah. Me Brentford. I'm not sure how much anyone really watches Brentford except for Brentford fans. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not shocked about where they are. Um, Small club of, syndrome. Sort of thought they'd be somewhere around the probably tenth to thirteenth mark. I didn't think they were going to give anyone in the European places too much of a push, and I didn't think they were going to be too concerned about relegation. They were just one of those teams that sort of were going to float in the middle of the pack, and they've done just that. Yeah, fair. On that note, then we'll just keep it moving straight along because this one's a shock in ninth place. Obviously, it's. 
your boys, Cooper, Liverpool, just the 29 points, six losses, um, a bunch of draws as well. This time last year, 44 points. They were sitting second in the league, trying to hunt down a City side, albeit six points off them already at this point. But they'd scored 56 goals and conceded 16. Uh, at the moment, they've they've scored 34 and conceded 25. Massive turnaround, middle of the pack. They're in a bit of trouble at the moment. Yeah, um, they lumped in my underachievers academy, um, but I think you all sort of were probably aware that that's where they're going to be for everyone that does a podcast or a video or anything like this. Um, currently ninth, they've only won what eight of nineteen games. Um, I don't, I don't want to cry. Oh, why was Liverpool? Because we speak about this countlessly about how big clubs like this, you know, they should have the depth and it's on them if they haven't played the youth, but. We've also spoken about how they push those title races by, like Tom said, playing the same seven or eight out of 11 guys a week. And they are just, they're the crippled team this year. You get one every single season. There's a team that just gets purely crippled. And and I think at Liverpool this season, um, they look so, they've been a Rolls Royce up front for three or four years now. And they just look so disjointed. No, Nunez still learning, you know, no Jota, no Firmino. No Diaz, who set the world on fire for the last six months of last season, was a big part of the reason we nearly chased down City. So I don't want to. I think this season is is a write off. I don't think we're getting near the four. I don't really know how much they want or or I want them to challenge for Europa or Conference League. Um, but I wouldn't write them off coming back towards the four next season. Still in, in the though. Champions. Still in the Champions League this season. Still in, yeah. They've got Real Madrid. I mean, Ah oh, shit! <laughs> they were also a bit out of form. Right? Yeah, I watched. I actually I watched that game against uh, Real Sociedad this morning, and like for a nil nil, very entertaining. Uh, this is off topic, but yeah, go um, on. They're there. I think they are there to be got at Real Madrid. Yeah. Um, especially if you can, you know, put a good few goal lead um, at home. I don't know uh, the rounds of the legs or anything. Um, but yeah, you know, maybe a Champions League campaign is where you can focus oh, your well. attention now. If you can get Diaz back, get Jota back. I've said, to, uh, sorry, Sammy, I've said to a few people in the last week it would have been the most Liverpool thing in the world for us to finish somewhere between 10th and 12th and win the Champions League. Do I think it'll happen? No, but it won't be surprised be neither. I would, love to, I would love to see that. If there's been a time to play Madrid over the last you know few seasons, it is now. Five years. Um, it is right now. So um, we'll see how that goes. Uh, Cooper, you mentioned lots of injuries and things, Liverpool being the crippled side, but I think... Uh, Chelsea fans would also be would be probably yelling through their phones at, at you right now because they have also been pretty heavily crippled, but they've also gone out and spent a lot of money. They currently sit 10th, also with 29 points, the same amount as Liverpool. Last year, they were third with 42 at this point. Um, a big turnaround in the goals. They'd scored 43 goals and conceded 14 last year. Um currently have scored 22, conceded 21, a goal difference of one when you consider the the players that they've brought in and the, the coaches they've had. That's the difference between uh, Liverpool and Chelsea is that Liverpool haven't spent, I mean, they have, they spent 100 million or whatever on Nunes, but I guess they didn't reinforce around uh, the pitch in areas where there were injuries. Chelsea, every time someone goes down, they go out and sign a new player to replace him. So, I I can't you know yeah you can cry uh you know injury woes sure but when you do have you know the the capacity to back it up 
you can't really blame that. You've gone out and poached maybe the best young manager in, in the country, best young English manager in the country. Um, I just, yeah, well, you, you, it's at that point, you have to make it work. It's got a lot of, a lot of people talking now about um, FFP and how all that works. I put a post out tonight on the page before we recorded asking for people to kind of chip, uh, post their questions if they had any. And, um, a uh, long-time listener, Daryl, has just written, do FFP rules truly exist? Yes, they exist exactly how they're <laughs> supposed to work. They always wanted to pull the ladder up and keep the divide between the big clubs and the small clubs. It certainly uh, feels that way. It does feel that way. I think if you want a practical reason, you know, uh, they signed Mudrick to like an eight-year contract. They're like mm. kicking out the payments out out into the never never into the future outside of the ffp calculations and so it's just it's like a future chelsea problem yeah i i think like i looked up i found an article in the daily mail i don't know how reliable it is but it's it, it i mean this <laughs> start from a low base this does make sense in that um they mentioned that a lot of all the stuff they're doing with contracts and things has gotten them around it for this season but if they miss the Champions League and don't get that revenue in, that could put them severely out of whack. And I think I've mentioned to a few people over the weekend that like if all these signings they're making, if this now doesn't work over the next few, two or three seasons, and all of a sudden you've got all these players on deals for the next five, six, seven, eight years, it's going to be very, very hard to offload those players on high wages and, and rebuild again if this doesn't work. Potentially, you know, I think you can see the beauty in having 15 Super League clubs that can all afford each other's wages. So if one club goes into trouble in that way, another club will just come in and buy them and pay that wage. Yeah, potentially. that The player's going to have to be playing well, though. I guess, but you could still see him end up going to France. Uh, you know, you know this, maybe this is why we're trying to open up Middle Eastern markets. If players get lost and want big wages, you handball them out there for a couple of seasons. Then they come back to Europe. Look, the, when money's involved and when you've got like really tight technical regulation, there's always going to be people working around it. And so when you see bizarre things, you know, maybe just attribute it to <laughs> some financial play. Mm. Anything you want to add, Cooper? Yeah, um, not too much on the financial front. Like I, like I think you covered it there. I think it's going to be one of those Manchester United situations where if it comes to that, you'll see them dump off a load of players for half the price of what they bought them two or three seasons ago. Um, in terms of Chelsea, I just wonder whether I know Potter is the he's the young English manager, he's the future, et cetera, et cetera. But were Chelsea too excited to grab him? And they've notoriously been that ruthless club under Abramovich where if a manager underperforms, they get rid of him at the end of the season. But was getting rid of Tuchel seven or eight or ten weeks through a Premier League season too drastic of a decision. Yeah, well, that it could be because now they've got to, you know, they've got to turn it around now with a new manager who didn't buy those players and now he's buying other players. And yeah, it's all a big mess. Um, we had, just before I move on to the next side, because um, we were talking about Chelsea and Liverpool, oh, there's a bug in my mouth. <laughs> there was a... Um, uh, <laughs> no, that's just the disgust you get when you talk about these two teams. Oh, it feels like choking on choking on your own bile over there. Uh, Declan Bevington, who's been on the show before, he came on to talk about the England squad ahead of the Euros. Um, g'day, Bebo. Um, he's asked, "Who are you taking in your in their prime?" Uh, 
Robin Van Persie, Didier Drogba, or Fernando Torres? Cooper, I'll go to you first. Jeez, tough question. In that um, prime. I, I think it's it's easy for me. Uh, I, to, I know what you're going to say, but what prime? <laughs> um, To me, I think probably Didier Drogba. I think he brought titles to Chelsea. He helped them every time he every time he played. I loved I loved Nando, but big game he goals. Did, he didn't he didn't cause he didn't cause trophies for Liverpool and he didn't cause trophies for Chelsea when he went there either. So interesting. Big game goals, Drogba. Tommy? Ugh, not Drogba. It's Torres. The answer's Torres. But I guess it kind of defined what what's prime RVP? Are we talking when he wins the title with United? At the peak of that player's powers in terms of mm. goal scoring, I think he probably still was at his peak then. It was the crossover yeah. period between Arsenal and Man United. So you could it could be both. Because I, yeah. I, I, I fucking loved both. RVP. Because I thought he was the more... Comp- uh, actually, Drogba would be the more complete player. But I think uh, RVP was the more technically brilliant player and scored the most brilliant goal. Drogba, like, they all scored great goals. These are great strikers. Yeah, I would have... Uh, RVP, Torres Drogba. Would you? You'd go RVP, number one. Yeah, I reckon I would. I, I love okay. Torres in the day as well. I thought he was brilliant. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, Torres is my answer. Prime Torres. Uh, when he when he moved to Liverpool. Across the board. Um, even when he was at Atletico and then when he moved to Liverpool and his first few seasons there, just, just absolutely killing teams. He was so good. Uh, Liverpool perhaps just didn't have the best team around him. Uh, to help him achieve those titles like Drogba did with Chelsea, maybe. Um, but then you could argue when he went to Chelsea that, you know, that was his chance too, and he didn't. Uh, uh, right. um, sorry, just just on oh. Drogba, I have this this memory of being a, a young a younger guy, and I have it's two thousand and nine ten. Uh, Chelsea finally dethroned the back to back to back Manchester United team that was that was unstoppable, and Drogba won the Golden Boot with twenty nine goals that season. And, and that that's the that's the season I remember best out of those three players. I think. Okay, fair, yeah, very good. Good call. We'll move it on. Um, we can probably whiz through the next few because we're going on a bit. But in eleventh, Aston Villa, twenty eight points. Uh, last year they were tenth. Not really much to add on that, is there? I I can sum it up beautifully. Sack Gerard, get a proper manager in, and bang, your mid table mediocrity. Done, Cooper. Yeah, uh, I'm in the same boat. I think there's three or four teams between 11th and 14th that I just have really not a lot to say about. They're a bit of a yep. bit of a less achieving Brentford. They're where I expected them to be. <laughs> yeah, the next one is Crystal Palace. It's probably the same issue there, 12, <laughs> 24 points. This time last year, they were ninth. They're in the top half uh, with two points more, but um, pretty similar squad, pretty similar kind of pattern of games this year, pretty similar kind of results. Uh, nothing much think, really to add. I think I think Palace are more interesting than the rest of these guys because they're like a really okay. odd. They're wildly inconsistent, and they're like okay. they they're they're peaks and troughs, man. It's a roller coaster with these guys. Not they don't score enough goals, and yeah. yet they've got this like attacking three of uh, attacking four of like uh, Zaha. Uh, uh, what's the other one? Eze, Elise. Like these are exciting footballers who are like brilliant goal scorers and they for some reason cannot get it together i think they've scored the third fewest or something like that uh, in the league and so that's their, their problem lies there they're a little bit flat track bully as well beat teams below them can't beat teams above them um but yeah i don't know yeah, they got they got problems in their midfield i'd say yeah there's probably, just an, an absolute dumpster fire behind those three that's up front yeah <laughs> um top heavy let's say in 13th and probably overachieving or not overachieving, but achieving 
Is overachieving the same as achieving better than you thought they would? I think they're different things. Um, <laughs> that sounds not like in, the exact same thing to me. Nah, they're definitely different. Um, <laughs> Exceeding expectations. When I say saying? when I say overachieving, that's I'm saying that they're not good enough to be in this position and at some point it's going to come undone whereas exceeding expectations or you know that's that's different and that's what Forrest are doing I think they're exceeding expectations I think you and I both had them in our bottom three at the start of the year I'm not sure but we definitely would have had them close and they're they've currently got 21 points they're 13th and they're what are they six or not even only four points out of the relegation zone though yeah, I don't think they're overachieving. I think you're probably right. They're playing as we expected them to, and potentially there's a few guys below them that are underachieving, and that's helping their okay. cause. Yeah. Um, I mean, what the probably the only club in I was going to say England, but maybe the world that signed more players than Chelsea this season. So <laughs> if they were if they were going to stay up, I guess they gave themselves a chance to do that in the market. But I just wonder whether there's still a chance to go down and. And potentially they're the they're the team in that group from eleventh to fourteenth that I feel like can slip below it. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm I'm not sure anyone in this group from eleventh to fourteenth can slip down. I think it probably starts fifteenth with Leicester, who will uh, sorry with Leeds, who will get Good to. Luck. Tommy, do you have anything on Forest? I I just I kind of admire Forest in the they really use the World Cup break well, so they, they went did. out. Bought heaps of players, like Coop said, um, kind of muddled their way through, kept themselves anywhere, you know, near enough. And they yeah. used that World Cup break as almost a second preseason. And like they've come out, they've been, they performed way better. Uh, players they've, looked like better. Aurier, they've looked a lot better, a little more settled. They understand each other more. Yeah. Uh, the, the partnership up front, Morgan Gibbs White and uh, is it Brennan Johnson, the Welsh dude? Brilliant. So fun to watch. Forrester turning into a good Premier League team. And like, um, I, I hope they stay up. Yeah, the results perhaps haven't reflected it, but I remember watching them in their first few games of the year and they just looked so incoherent and just all over the shop. Now they look like they have a much better understanding. They've won two of their last five and two draws, just the one loss in their last five, and that's what's really propelled them up out of that really tight group in there. The next one is Leicester in 14th, I guess kind of just continuing their downward uh, progression, recession. Uh, Leicester with 18 points, this time last year were 11th. With twenty six, they're, they're eight points less, um, but they're only they're only three spots lower. Um, four losses in their last five, and every time these they seem to get a result, they just they, it's coupled together with a bunch of losses, and they just can't get clear of that that pack down the bottom. It's a depression from here in down, Sam. All right, we'll yeah. go with that. Um, it might be. It might be time for Leicester to move on from Brendan Rodgers. Um, not now, uh, at the end of the season. They're in that group, like we said, 11 to 14th. I don't think they're really in, even though they're only, what, a point out of the relegation zone, I don't think they're in too much danger of going down, should stay up. And, you know, if they're going to have guys like like Madison and players like that still around, they need to use what they've got, maybe start fresh with a new manager, try and sign a couple of players and get back towards the, 10-11 safe in the Premier League, safe financially, Mark. And and mm. that's that with Leicester, really. That's that's if they're going to, you know, give the new manager money. Isn't the whole reason they're in this position is they just haven't refreshed the squad enough? And like, I, I, I don't like this feature of the Prem, but you do have to spend money and continually bring players in and ship the ones underperforming out. 
and they haven't done that this season or yeah. in the previous January window. So I don't know. You can't bring someone new in if you're not going to give them the cash. And that's why I think Rogers is probably the best guy to do it because he can. He's playing with kind of half half an arm tied behind his back. Yeah, he's, you mentioned he's still got quality. You mentioned uh, perhaps getting rid of Brendy there. Uh, Andrew Lindsay asked tonight. Uh, his question was, who is the next manager to be sacked? Um, do you have any names quickly? Anyone? David Moyes. You think David oh, Moyes? Oh, oh, oh. Or save it. Save it for when we get to West Ham, Tommy. Oh, boy, boy. Um, I'm going to go out there and say no more managers will be sacked. Okay. Um, I think I we're think, done with it. Uh, possibly... Probably not before the end of the season, but uh, I think Gary O'Neill at Bournemouth took over as caretaker. I'm not sure that would count if they got a manager in to take over from him. I'm not sure if that would count as him being sacked. I don't know, Um, but they're pretty grim too. He's definitely been demoted. Demoted? Yeah, because he'd probably stay on as an assistant. Oh, yeah, you'd think so. I don't think he'd hold on to that that job there. Um, Who is next? Oh, here we go. Leeds, this will be interesting. Um, 18 points currently... Uh, this time last year, they were 17th as opposed to 15th, 15th right now. But they have somewhat improved in terms of they've scored 26 goals this year and only conceded 33. I say only conceded <laughs> 33. But last year, they had conceded the, mo- conceded the most in the league at this point, um, and that was 45, and they'd barely scored any either. So an improvement, Tommy. Yeah, but we had Bielsa ball, Sam, and it was beautiful. Take me back. I would say get away from like the red bullification of the club. Uh, I, I don't know. It kind of, can I, we, yeah. Can I give you another question? Go for it. Um, another one from Bebo. We got two in bit greedy. We'll, we'll let him have it. Double sub. I don't mind. <laughs> we don't exactly have people queuing up to ask questions. So it's fine. Get them in. <laughs> so fast. He goes to the back of the line. Um, and he's back in. Is the U S it was around. Is the U S contingent at Leeds good enough to get them out of relegation. So obviously there's Jesse Marsh there in charge. There's Brendan A. Aronson um, mm-hmm. in the midfield, Tyler Adams as well. And there's rumours as we record that um, Leeds are looking pretty good to get Weston McKenney or the Forest might hijack it, but Weston McKenney coming in would improve. But I guess I, I, the question was, are the US contingent good enough? So maybe the maybe it's more a case of... Um, is it the US contingent that you're relying mm. on or is it is it other areas of the squad that need improving? Is it like Yank Lampard and the boys? Are they gonna yeah. are they gonna get us out of this mess? Takes us to the promised land of 14th. Yeah. Uh, promised land. We, we just brought in a new assistant as well, Chris Amas. He yep. was he was, I think, involved with Ralph Ranick at Man United. And he was like the first guy to get all the Ted Lasso jokes and stuff. And so he yeah. left kind of disillusioned. And so Jesse's brought him back in and he He's got his mate Tyler and Brendan. And if we bring in uh, McKenney, who apparently was like a childhood friend of Tyler Adams, you know, did all junior football together with um, with one another. Yeah, you're definitely looking at, at a very core American contingent. I mean, this they say this Chris Amas was like the best US soccer player to ever do it. So it, it's the problem is they're all from Red Bull. And so you, you know what you're going to get. There was this yeah. classic... I don't know. We, uh, I don't know if Cooper's seen it. Jesse Marsh's Seven Commandments that he put up in the dressing room, and it was just the most ridiculous shit, man. Like celebrate moments with four exclamation marks, and like talking about forget width. The goal is in the middle of the pitch, 
And it's like, I don't understand. Is this is this how you win Premier League football uh, matches? I don't know I don't if you've wanna... seen Ted Lasso, but it was virtually just like a longer version of that bright yellow piece of paper with the word believe written on it that Ted Lasso slapped <laughs> on the change room wall. I, I don't. I haven't seen it either. I just, I can't bring myself to do it. Even the Wrexham story kind of gives me a little bit of heebie-jeebies. This is something about Americans in, in the English yeah, game. I watched Welcome to Wrexham recently and I was, I, oh, I'm pretty torn on it. That's, we can probably shelve that for another episode, I reckon. Mm-hmm. Uh, just both of you quickly, just give me a yes or a no. Tommy, you first. Do leads stay up? Yeah, I'd say in terms of the window, we've signed Ruta and we've signed uh, Verber as well. And if McKenny comes in, that's great. Yes. Just- I just want to do yes or no, mate. Cooper, yes or no? No. Um, no. Oh, that's team. just spite. That's just spite. <laughs> <laughs> no, they in my in my end of season predictions that I had written down before, I've got Bournemouth staying up and Leeds taking their spot <gasps> the bottom three. Oh, very um, interesting. Well, and I will dispute it very shortly when we get to Bournemouth. But right now we have to talk about West Ham very quickly. Uh, 16th at the moment, 18 points, a whopping 12 losses. 12 losses, can you believe it, from the team that finished 7th last season. Uh, sorry, this time last year they were in 7th uh, with 34 points. Um, only the 6 losses. They've had double the amount of losses in the first half of the year. Jeez, uh, this is this is not good. This is another baffling one. I don't know, Coop, have you done the deep dive on this? Because I, I can't figure this shit out. <laughs> they've signed better players. Why, why are they not winning? <laughs> I just I don't know whether it's one of those scenarios of the new guys not gelling or whether it's just that mismatch with the form of the the older guys. Like people end of last season were talking about how can Jared Bowen not be not be on the plane and then fourteen or fifteen weeks into a Premier League season when we got to the World Cup, he wasn't even in the discussion. And it's just it's a whole form thing. They've signed Danny Ings now. Um but Oh yeah, you know, interesting. Um, yeah, which can the strikers they had um at the end of last season, like Antonio was really good at the start of um at the start of last season, and yeah, yeah Bowen was banging them in. Yeah, Bowen was banging them in, and they've just they've just got too much. I think they're one of those sides with too much talent to go down, which is where I feel like I don't know if they've waited too long already, but is it too late to pull the David Moyes trigger? Is is it time? Something something's not working and you have the squad that, you know, last season they were they were chasing European football with virtually almost the exact same squad. Um is it time to pull the David Moyes trigger? Do they need to move on? I know they've got this love affair, this affinity with him, but if they want to stay up, they've got to do something. Cool. Um if I can give West Ham any sort of credit at all, which I don't really think they deserve but if I had to, you could perhaps look at, I was talking to some guys on the weekend about playing, you know, that third tier European competition, the Conference League, and how mm. it just really does not suit clubs like West Ham and other clubs in that around that size with squads like they do that perhaps don't have the money of the, the big kind of five or six clubs above them. Um, it puts them in a pretty precarious position with the amount of fixtures and traveling you have to do and putting a lot of pressure on your squad depth. So maybe that's an excuse they could use, but I'm hesitant to because I still think they're, they're, the the core kind of 15, 16 guys they've got there are much better than than where they sit. And perhaps, yeah, perhaps pulling the trigger on David Moyes is the way to go. 17th, Wolves, 17 points. This time last year, Wolves were in eighth with 28 points. So I guess a, a pretty similar story to West Ham right now. 
Yeah, and they're they they pressing the same panic buttons as uh, the rest of the sides around them at the moment. Like signing, do you see um Guedes is signed in for twenty seven mil, and they've loaned him out to Benfica now. Like, yeah. they're just doing ridiculous stuff. It's the constant changing of the manager, and you know, it, like I didn't, I didn't necessarily, I didn't like it, but I, you know, I wasn't against it. The whole Portuguese uh influx and getting in all you know guys of the same nationality it, it works sometimes i get why they did it it wasn't necessarily for the football but you know they have good patches and they've played good football in the past but they're just a club that kind of lacks an identity i think and they lack almost a reason to be in the premier league and so they struggle every season they don't have any you know you can't point to someone at the club maybe other than ruben nevers and say that's like a wolves modern day legend like who is that who would you say if that Wolves club encompasses mm. everything about them? And I think that's what they really lack in. Cooper, anything on Wolves or should we just move on? I think you're spot on. Um, it's probably a bit of a feral comparison, but they give me really like Adelaide United vibes with the whole Portuguese thing oh. that they did. They brought in all these Portuguese players and it worked for like two or three seasons. And now they've tried to cling on to it as their entire personality. And they've got these Portuguese guys running around for them that probably aren't as good as half the kids that they've got, but they won't take them out of the team. When did, when did Adelaide sign all those Portuguese guys? <laughs> I think you both know I'm referring to the, to the Spanish problem that we've got. Lombo. I know. Oh, all right, moving on. Jeez. Let's quickly get through this last week because we've gone on quite a bit, but Bournemouth sit in the relegation zone at the moment with 17 points. They were not in the comp last year. They were down a division. Um, they look like they could still potentially go down a division, and I think they will uh, only because, oh, yeah, they will because I think all the teams above them right now are the ones that are going to stay above them. Here we go, Coop. Law's yours. Why do they stay up? I just I think they're I think they're better than Everton and Southampton and I don't know how much Bournemouth do to save themselves in comparison to in my mind what Leeds do to almost send themselves down. I Ooh. I just I just think that Leeds are their own worst enemy and and I just don't know whether Bournemouth have that little bit of a little bit more dog in them than Everton and Southampton where they can go we need to go and get a point today can and grind and just away it a few more times. Yeah, I could see Leeds trying to grind away and losing were conceding like four goals in that attempt to grind out a nil-nil or something. Tommy, yeah, what have you fine. got? Leeds will score five then. You switch it on after a while. Yeah, the idea Remember- of the idea of 10 Leeds players behind the ball terrifies me. It's, it's, <laughs> it, that's honestly genuinely how I feel with Leeds is that if they're going to win a game, it's going to be 4-3 and, and how sustainable is that? Yeah. Nice. Any Bournemouth uh, listeners will be glad to know we've just talked about Leeds during the Bournemouth bit. <laughs> Look, I must confess, this is the side I've watched the least. Yeah, I'd them like... and Brentford are my two. Yeah, no idea. Who cares? Yeah, no, we shouldn't do that. There may be a Bournemouth listener out there. Um, you're getting relegated, so enjoy the championship yeah. next season. <laughs> I, I've just, I've realised I just condemn them saying they're not good enough. But um, they've lost. Then also, their last then also said I never watched them. You know, <laughs> but, you know, it's a vibe. They're, it's a vibe based pick. The numbers speak for itself, and I do think the teams above them still have enough quality to stay above them, and the two below them aren't going anywhere either. Um, so that brings us to 19th, which is Everton, and friend of the show, Todd, um, he's asked, what size will the statue be that they build for Sean Dyche after he keeps Everton out of relegation? <laughs> uh, smaller than the Frank Lampard one for keeping them up last season, I'd say. <laughs> If it's life size, it won't be small. Uh, 
are they staying up? Yeah, well, speaking of having speaking of having that dog in them, that's um that's Sean Dyche. This is the guy, Dyche the maniac. <laughs> the maniac who yells at the tea lady. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna have to fist fight this like the fans into submission. How good would it be him uh getting out of his getting out of his Range Rover and fighting people on the street after a poor performance? Oof. Can Everton do anything, Cooper, or are they done? I think they're done. Um I think the only thing that that they've got is Sean Dyche might be able to shore them up enough defensively to potentially cling on for a couple of one or draws. They've Everton have more goals in them than the teams that surround them at the bottom. So if they can can stop loosely conceding as many goals and getting run over in games as much as they are, it might work for them. Um, Sean Dyche has previously worked, obviously, at Burnley with James Tarkovsky and things like that. So he's got someone he trusts at the back already. He might be able to use that in his in his tactic to to shore them up at the back enough to grab six or seven draws somewhere in the back of this season and it might be enough to keep them up. I think uh, we did say, Tommy and I said at the start of the season, I reckon that an interesting tactic to uh, sign a bunch of players from a side that was relegated and then uh, Everton now find themselves in uh, that relegation spot. Um, I think, Seems so I think, simple. I think they're done and I reckon they've... Um, I reckon they know it's done as well because they've offloaded Gordon. They've cashed in. Um, they probably could have waited to the end of the season and got the money anyway. But forty mil still seems like Everton are stealing money there. I think. Um, I feel like Newcastle have paid massive overs, but I don't know. Maybe maybe Gordon can uh, a change of scenery and some maybe some better players around him and a more organised club that that isn't this absolute pile of crap at the moment that is Everton. I don't say that. Uh, with any joy, well, I don't. I don't <laughs> think. I don't think I want to see Everton just crumble like this and go down. They're, I think they're the second longest, um, run, longest running top flight team behind Arsenal. Everton and Arsenal, are the two that haven't been relegated, I think. So, mm. um, yeah, long time. Uh, Southampton sit bottom. These guys are absolutely terrible. I mean, they're on the same amount of points as Everton, uh, fifteen points. The weird thing is these guys are only, you know, they're still only three points away from being safe, but they just don't look like they're going to be able to. Southampton had that result against City in the Cup where they they knocked them out of the the League Cup 2-0 at home. But this time last year, they were 13 with 24 points. They've got 15 at the moment and uh, it's it's grim. But the the relegation teams at the moment have, last year at this time, Norwich were on 10 points. And uh, Watford, a bit Watford more were 14th. At the moment, 17 points has you in the relegation zone. But yeah. Southampton are cooked, aren't they? Uh, potentially. Like if Everton are going to draw nil-nil or 1-1 their way out of the, out of the relegation zone, uh, Southampton are just going to score James Ward-Prowse free kicks all the way into 17th. Yeah. That's all Cooper. they've got. Yeah, I don't know. Uh it's a hard one. I think it's going to be the race to watch this year, the relegation battle. Um, usually there's a lot of talk about, it depends on who you support as to whether you're watching the the race for the top four or the race for the relegation spots in the last last four or five weeks of the season. But I don't think there's going to be much of a race for the top four spots. And there's probably six or seven teams who internally are still shooting themselves at the idea of being relegated this season. So it's a hard one to call. Good stuff. Um, Look, no, I've, gone... got it, I've got it pegged. Go on. Here we go. Southampton, Bournemouth, Wolves. You think Everton get out? Yep. Okay. They draw their way out. 
the episodes of this podcast will be 30 minutes shorter every week if Leeds get relegated. So, <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 because then we play twice a week in the championships. So yeah. way more content. Yeah, I'll just kick you off, I reckon, and we'll just – Cooper and I will do it on our own. Um, we'll do own Leeds podcast. You can have your own champ- championship podcast. Yeah, with Bebo, get him on. <laughs> I'll get Lindsay on. <laughs> Andrew Lindsay can come on as well. All the Leeds – there's a lot of Leeds fans around. Jesus. Um, I reckon we might wrap it there. We've gone on a bit, but if you're still with us, thanks for listening. Um. Hope you enjoyed that Premier League wrap. We'll see how the second half of the season unfolds. It's much more interesting, I guess, City not running away with it as yet, um, like they were last season, and the relegation battle is super, super tight. Um, Thanks for listening. Also, check out, we're going to have a Adelaide United pot up this week. Red edition, Adelaide with a three-all draw away to Melbourne City. Big game, broken legs, all sorts going on. Um, Keep an eye out for that one, and uh, stay tuned. Enjoy. Peace.